continuing our series, loving this series, and, and just really believing it, speaking into your life. And as we're looking at great Bible stories, realizing everyone doesn't know the stories, and that's okay, we want to help you. And we want to look at them afresh, because the problem that we can have being brought up in church, or maybe hearing these stories over and over again, we can lose the excitement, the awe and the wonder of them, because we know what happens, and we can kind of skip over the process and get straight to the results. And I just ask that every one of us would just pray, God, just show me something fresh. As I read these stories, as I approach, as I read your word each and every day, God, show me something fresh. Because there are miracles that we can see that God does. That we can just label as part of a story. That's not just part of a story. That's a miraculous intervention. That if God did not show up, there would be problems. And the same God that showed up there is the same God that can show up in your circumstance and in your situation. And we can excuse many of those things as just a coincidence. Tongue in cheek, I want to say this. It's amazing how many coincidences there are in God. There's no coincidence in God. But when we pray, we see things happen. When we include God, we see God come through. Why? Because it's not a coincidence. It's part of His plan. And we want to be a part of the plan. So today we're going to talk about the world's most famous haircut. The haircut. Say with me one more time. The haircut. I want to lay some groundwork for you today so we can get to the featured story. The story that we're bringing obviously comes from the Word of God. comes from the Bible. It comes from the book of Judges. Judges is the seventh book of the Old Testament. You've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, then Judges. This book covers a chaotic period of Israel's history. It was written about 1380 to 1050 BC before Christ. And under Joshua, Israel generally conquered and occupied the land of Cana, but there was large areas that they still had to possess in the areas that had to be possessed. But like most of our lives, complacency began to sit in. And with complacency came evil, and that began to prevail in the lives of the children of Israel. And because there was no king, the Bible says in Judges 21-25 that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Israel didn't have a king. That was God's plan because God says, I want to be your king. I want to lead you and I want to guide you. So that wasn't the problem. The problem was they weren't allowing God to be the king of their lives. So they were deliberately serving foreign gods. And the people of Israel broke their covenant with God. And as a result, 
The Bible says the Lord delivered them into the hands of various oppressors. It's amazing to think when you would read stories like that. Here they are living in their promise, but yet oppressed. Living in a promise, the potential is there. But because of lack of obedience, because of turning away from God, a relationship not with God, even in the promise, they found themselves under an impressor as a nation would rise against them. But the faithfulness of God, we would read, that each time they cried out to God and said, God, forgive us, help us. God faithfully raised up a judge. God raised up a man or a woman. That's where the word judges come from. God raised up a man and a woman that would deliver, that would lead and instruct his people. And these judges were chosen by God. They were anointed by his spirit. And they were some military leaders and some were civil leaders. And one of those leaders is who we're going to talk about today, and that's Samson. We're going to talk about Samson, whose name is the word related in the Hebrew to the word son. So think about this. Samson is one to bring light into darkness. And that's what God has called every one of us, I believe, to be. A hope to this world to bring light to darkness. So from the very beginning, we can see a parallel of our life and the life of of Samson. So we're going to start reading his story and we're going to start at the beginning, Judges 13 verse 1. And the Bible says this, and again the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Please notice the first word of verse 13 of chapter 13 verse 1. Again, say that with me, again. That's a big word for our lives too. The Bible says again they did evil, again they failed. I wonder how many agains that we've had in our lives. Let's just be honest, when we've gone wrong and things have not gone right because we've turned against God. But read on, and the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. 40 seems to be a trend. They were 40 years in a wilderness. Now they're 40 years under the hand of the Philistines. The number 40 speaks of a testing. It speaks of a trial period of our life. Verse 2, now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. Therefore not a candidate to be used by God. They were barren. They had nothing But the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, that or who was barren. Indeed, now you are barren and you have borne no children, but you shall conceive and you shall bear a son. Verse 4, now therefore be careful to drink no wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. In other words, God says, I want you to separate yourself. Speaking of separation. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son and no razor. Say with me, no haircut. No razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall, say with me, begin. That's the next word, isn't it? He shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. Notice he won't completely do it, but he will begin. I believe words like this are in the Word of God for us to pick up on and for us to home into. Why? Because words like that show each and every one of us for the plan of God to be fulfilled on this earth. It doesn't just take one person. 
It takes every one of us. Oh, I'll begin it, but I need someone else to stand with me because the plan of God involves the whole of mankind. And when we start a work, God says, I'll be faithful to complete it. We begin, God completes the work. So what do we see as a Nazarite? As a Nazarite, that word literally means he was devoted or consecrated. It wasn't just, hey, I'm a Christian. It wasn't just a verbal thought or a verbal word. It was by being seen by the actions and the results of his life. Because as a Nazarite, there were three things that they were not permitted to do. The first thing that they were not permitted to do was they weren't permitted to have no alcohol. They were permitted not to drink any intoxicating drink whatsoever. The second thing we see was this. They weren't allowed to cut their hair. So they couldn't cut their hair. Seen as a symbol of this vow. When you saw someone with the long hair, you didn't say, oh, there's a hippie, there's a Nazarite. There's someone whose life has been consecrated and given to God. An outward sign of an inward vow made to God. And the third thing that we see from a Nazarite was this. They were not allowed to touch a dead body or even to go near anything that was unclean. So jump to verse 24 and it says this. And I know I'm laying a foundation, but this is important before we proceed. And it says, So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Meheah Dan between Zorah and Estol. Notice the next verse of the next chapter, chapter 14, verse 1, the next thought of his life. The Spirit of God is moving. We just left him where the Spirit of God is moving in a certain location. Verse 1, now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Who were the Philistines, remember? They were the ones they were under oppression to. Forty years they were going to be under the oppression. This is the enemy. These are the people that you shouldn't be connected and involved with. But Samson has gone down and seen a beautiful lady in the wrong place. Be careful in your life. What are you saying, Pastor? Notice God was moving in his life in a certain place. And what did he do? He left the moving of God to go to somewhere he had no business to be. He found someone he had no business to be around, which took him to places that he never thought he would ever be. you got to be careful in your life to recognize where God is and where God's not. You've got to be careful to recognize the friends who are godly and can steer you in the right direction and the ones who are not. Oh man, I wish you would help me preach this. I know this is just an introduction, but you can still say amen. You've got to nurture that and cultivate that. That's why you need to be in church. You need to be where God's Spirit is moving upon your life each and every week. And don't neglect it. Don't take it for granted because you'll find yourself moving into the... Wrong place. That's a great point to preach. And I wish I could preach it today. But we haven't got time. That's not where we're going. But listen to what I've said. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need to listen. You need to listen to what was just said. So really, what that describes, I think, perfectly describes the life of Samson. God's moving and he moves. God's moving and he goes the opposite way so many times. 
We see in Samson's life an unwillingness to stay where God wants him to, to really follow God. There's a struggle, there's a pull. God's leading him, but he wants to do his own thing. And so we see in Samson's life literally him coming in and out of the plan and the purpose of God for his life. And please note, here's someone called from the womb. Here's someone miraculous conception. Because his mother was barren, God spoke an angel, they were able to have children. A miraculous birth, chosen by God. But notice, it doesn't mean that we will vacate the struggles and the adversities of life. But when we're chosen and called of God, it just literally means we have a target painted on our back. And Satan wants to do everything he can in his power to take us down. But I want to remind you, greater is he. Greater is he that is within you. You don't have to fall victim to those things. And I encourage you to read the whole story of Samson. Not now, because you need to listen, but read the whole story. Samson was one bad dude. And when I say bad, I don't mean in the wrong way, in a bad way. He was bad, but he was bad. I mean, bad to the bone. He was so incredible that one day the Spirit of God comes upon him. He picks up a bone. He picks up a donkey's jawbone. And and, and a thousand men attack him. A thousand grown military men with swords, spears, weapons attack him. He's got a bone in his hand. And Samson that day kills a thousand of those guys with a bone in it. I mean, this is a bad dude. It's incredible. But notice, even in doing that, and we can say, wow, that's awesome. Notice, though, in doing that, he's broken his vow to God. Because as part of being a Nazarite, he wasn't supposed to touch that which was unclean. Oh, but God, look what you did. Oh, yeah, but look what you're doing. Look what you're doing. In the life of Samson, we can realize, just like with our own lives, that God has given us gifts and talents. But the reason why God has given those to us is for us to give honor and glory to Him through those things. And if we don't watch like Samson, we can use those gifts to dishonor God, to discredit God, and not bring Him glory. I wonder if you are today. What is the gifts that God has given you? Are you using them for His glory? Just a thought. And now here's the main passage of the Scripture that we want to get to, and it's chapter 16, verse 4, and it says, Afterwards, afterwards. It's another not good experience in the life of Samson, another misusing of his gifts and the calling of God. But thank God, there was an afterwards. Afterwards it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Surak, whose name was who? Delilah. Poor Delilah. Delilah, Delilah. So come on, let's read the rest of the story if we can today. And it says this, And the lords of the Philistines came up to her, and they said to Delilah, Entice him and find out where his great strength lies. And by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. And every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. That's the intrigue. That's the enticement right there. Verse 6 of Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. And Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and I shall be like any 
other man. So the Lord of the Philistines brought up to her Delilah seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Notice it doesn't say he's asleep at this time. They're doing whatever, and, and she's playing almost a game. He's playing a game with her. It doesn't show anything. He's been bound by these people. And it says, now the men were laying in wait, staying in the room. And she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it is touched by fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Verse 10, then Delilah said to Samson, look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me what you may be bound with. So he said to her, if they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and I shall be like any other man. Therefore Delilah took new ropes and they, she bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men were lying in wait, staying in the room. But he broke them off his arms like a thread. Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said unto her, If you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom, So she wove it tightly with the baton of the loom and said to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he awoke from his sleep. This time he's asleep. The other times he wasn't. He awoke from his sleep and he pulled out the baton and the web from the loom. And she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and you have told me not where your great strength lies. And it it came to pass that she pestered him daily with her words. And she pressed him so that his soul was vexed unto death. If you want to eat some good gumbo tonight, you better tell me. You want me to clean the house? You want me to take care of you? You better tell me. She is vexing this man to death. That he told her, verse 17, sad verse. Because of her vexation, because of her constant bombardment, his heart was so vexed that he told her everything that was in his heart. And he said to her, no razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite. I've been vowed, committed, given to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart, she sent out and called for the Lord of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all that was in his heart. It kind of indicates here that they had given up on the thought. Because she's like, no, please, just one more time, please. I I promise you, this time is different to any other time. Come up once more. So the lords of the Philistines came, and this time they came and brought the money with them. They're ready. This is the time. This is the moment. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees. And she called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Seven is the number of God, the number of completion. And then she began to torment him and his strength left him. Think about this right now. Here's someone, his wife, trying to find his secret. She shaves off his head. Now she begins to torment him. The Bible doesn't tell us what she did, but she's afflicting him. She's tormenting him. She's coming against him. And she said to him, verse 20, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. 
So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and I will shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him and they put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. However, verse 22, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. The story of Samson and Goliath. I'm sure some of you have heard it before. Maybe all of you have heard it before. But I want to look at the story from a different angle today. I want to look at the result of him opening up his heart. I want to look at the result of him failing more than the process that got him there. Yes, we've got to watch the processes of our life. We've got to watch because we can give just a little bit, but a little bit can become more and more. Come on, it's a slippery slope when we start going the wrong way. We've got to watch the process. We've got to watch whose lap we're falling asleep on. We've got to watch who we're opening up our hearts to. We've got to watch who we're pouring ourselves into. And they're all great points. And I wish today I had more time to cover those. But again, I want to take it from this approach. Not talking about the process of getting us there, but the result of when we're there. Here's the thought I want to come around today. When you've messed up, what now? When you have messed up, because I'm telling you right now, if you haven't already, you're going to. At some time in your life, in shape or form, you're going to mess up and do things and say things and be in a place that you wished and thought you would never be at, but you're going to find yourself there. So when you're in that place, and maybe because someone else messed up, but you're in a bad place. When you're in that place, when things are messed up and it seems like your future is gone, you may be in a place of failure or someone else's failure. What now? What do I do? Here's the first thing you need to do. Number one, you need to realize. You need to realize. You need to begin to see exactly where you are at. Refuse to be deceived. The Bible speaks of deception in our lives that we don't deceive other people. We don't deceive God. But the Bible says we deceive ourselves. Because we can't fool God. And most of the time we're not fooling other people. But we're deceiving and fooling ourselves. We need to wake up and be honest with the place that we're at in our life. Not where we think we are or where we want to be or where we were once at. But where are we right now? Samson did not even realize what he was done. He, done. he didn't realize what he was doing. How do we know this? Verse 20. And he said to her, after the haircut... He said, as she said, the Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before. As other times, I'm going to shake myself free. But notice these next words. But he did not know. He did not realize that God had departed from him. In his heart, in his mind, he said, no big deal. I've been here before. I'm big and bad. I'm called of God. God's calling and moving is upon my life. I can handle this. I can take care. I've been in tough situations before. This is no different. But he did not realize the seriousness of this moment was greater than any other moment he had been. 
He didn't realize the decisions that he had made. Because the decisions are the hinges of your life that will swing your life either open or slam it closed. The decisions you make today will determine the course and the pathway of your life. But he didn't realize the importance of that. And he made one decision that was bad after another, not realizing where it had fully taken him to. How sad. I want to say that again. How sad. And especially when everyone else can see it, but you can't even see it. He didn't even know. He didn't know what was going on all around him. I want to give you an awesome formula to live your life by. An awesome formula to live your life by. Three words. Three words that say this. Realize, repent, and retreat. If you were to live your life by those three words, your life would be completely different. To realize where you're at, and if you're in the wrong place, repent from those things. And then what? Retreat. Turn away and go the opposite. That that doesn't belong in my life. Not retreating from advancing in God. Oh, we're going forward in God, but to go forward in God, we've got to retreat from sin. We've got to turn away from the sin of our life. We've got to realize where we're at. That can be hard to do. For our lives. It's hard to come to a realization of the decisions that you're making. Because one of the reasons we can justify them and say, well, at least I'm better than them. At least I'm not as bad as what they are. You've got to come to a realization of who you are according to his word and his plan and his purpose for your life. He has to be the rule that you measure your life by, not by everyone else. Come on, how many have got some kids in the house? How many were a kid one day? You know what I'm talking about when I'm now going to say this. Luke came home from school the other day. He had a couple of marks that is not good. And I'm picking on Luke today. I love Luke. He's my son. He's just like I was. That's how I was. He had a couple of marks. So his mum says to him, Luke, because it's now technical stuff. We used to be able to keep stuff from our parents, but now they text your phone. I mean, it's incredible. If he gets a mark in class, it texts Kelly's phone at the exact time and said he's misbehaved in class. I'm like, wow, man, I would have died if that would have happened in school. (laughs) I'd hate to see my mum. My mum would have needed an unlimited data plan for me. Come on, anyone with me? Now, listen, don't listen to that. You're not allowed to hear that. But he comes up. So what does he say? And I'm not picking on him because we're the same way. Everyone else in the class got marks at the same time. Come on, don't look at him like he's crazy. You know what you're talking about. Why is it so hard for us? So what's my reply? I don't care about every other kid in the class. What about you? You see, we need to realize no matter what everyone else is doing, we don't have to fall victim to that. And our lives need to be of a different course to the course of everyone else. But we've got to come to a realization. And it's easy to justify our behavior by everyone else and say, well, I was just doing what everyone else was doing. That's what Samson has done. And now he's in a place where beyond his realization, God has departed from him. He's now weak like every other man. He's not fulfilling the plan and purpose that God had called him to do. Samson's playing with fire. He's playing with fire. But he's thinking the lie that every one of us have bought into. It will never happen to me. I will never get burnt. Proverbs 6 verse 27 says, Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burnt? He shook himself and said, I'm just going to go out like every other time. 
Say with me, not this time. Not this time. Since you're taking notes, this is something good for you to write down today. You need to start to realize before it becomes your reality. You need to start realizing before it becomes your reality. Because you're going to live in the choices that you make. You're going to live because you're creating the future that you live in by the choices and the words and the decisions and the life. You better start realizing that before it becomes the reality of your life. Quit blaming everyone else too because you're the one. You're the one. You're the one. I read stories and, and I read the story like this and I ask myself this question. I don't know about you. I ask the question and say, how did you not know? I mean, what's wrong, Samson? I mean, come on, for real. How did you not know? But isn't that the tactic of sin? That the tactic of sin and the idea of the devil is to blind us from the truth. Because the things of this world and the things of sin that we do, they're all stupid, they're all ignorant, they're all dumb, but yet the moment we see them as, oh, I want to be popular, I want to be blessed, I want to be happy, I want to be successful, then you come on the other side of it and you look back and you say, how dumb and silly. Why? Because the God of this world, the Bible says, blinds our minds. Lest we see the truth, we don't see the realization of it. We just see what we want or what he wants us to see. The intrigue, the popularity, the fame, the game. Maybe even dangling and, oh, God's chosen you so nothing bad would ever happen. Oh, Satan can use that tactic on you too. And then one step after another. But this time, he's taken one step too far. Let me share my story with you. If you've been through our Connect course, and I pray every one of you goes through that, you'll hear a part of my testimony as you understand the vision of this church. But as a young man brought up in a Christian family and my parents were pastored, I always felt God's call was upon my life. Every report card I would get um, comments, and it would say, a born leader, people follow him. It would also say in PE and in sports, A, triple plus. I wished he put the same effort into other things. But what I'm saying is this. I knew from an early age, and not just because man told me, God told me. I'd be awakened by dreams almost nightly that God would be showing me as a six, seven, eight-year-old kid. God would be giving me dreams of me standing in front of stadiums full of people as far as the eye could see. I was standing preaching the gospel and delivering the truth of God's word to anyone and everyone that could listen. And people were responding. God was using me. And I'd be awoken by these with just a call and a passion. So as a result of that call and the passion, I was involved in my church, very heavily involved. I used to lead praise and worship, played the piano accordion. It's kind of cool here everywhere else. It's not, but here it's cool. And... Um, just was used by God, was a leader for the children's ministry, leader in the youth ministry, just did a lot of awesome things and knew God's call was on my life. So I came to Bible college, came to America. That was my first really taste of coming over to America, apart from visiting family and vacations. That was a year that I was over here in America. During that time at Bible college, this is very parallel to Samson, just decision after decision, placed me in wrong places, even at Bible college. Our textbook was the Bible every day. 
But what happened was, because we were reading it in class every day, I didn't see the need to read it on my own in a personal dis- devotion every day. I found myself wandering away from God. And what happened in the course of it all? I met a young lady, and she got pregnant. So here I am, a pastor's kid in a Bible college, learning to be in ministry, and I get a girl pregnant. Not good. Not good. Now all of a sudden, I'm dreaming those dreams again. But now there's a new spin on those dreams. I'm seeing myself, and God... I'm seeing myself as what God has called me to. But now instead of God directing and leading those dreams, Satan is. And I want to tell you today that Satan didn't say, see those dreams, they're gone. Satan showed me those dreams. And Satan in the middle of those dreams said, see what God had available for your life. But now you will never be a part of that. Because you have failed, you have fallen, and you will now never be used. Satan would constantly tell me, you've blown it. And as a young man with still such a passion and a heart to be used for God, that was the worst thing that anyone could say to me because I would rather, in my mind, die than not be used by God because it was just too painful to go through the rest of my life thinking, God, you'll never be able to use me. And I tell you this with complete transparency today. For months I battled with suicide. I haven't told a lot of people this. For months I battled with suicide. Traveling home in England, very narrow, windy roads. Some of the roads around my house, two-lane roads are just wide enough barely for one car. If you meet a car, you pull up on the side or back up. You let people by. If you've ever been over to England, you'd know what I talk about. There will be so many times on corners and curves and 18-wheelers coming directly for you on those roads that the, the, the voices inside of my head would be saying, don't stop, keep going. You're a failure, you're a mistake. God could never use you anymore. Oh yes, you have promise and potential, but you blew it. I remember at the top of our stairs of our house, there were solid wooden stairs that would lead down to our house. There were pretty steep stairs. At the bottom of the stairs was our front door. It was all glass. So many times, standing at the top of those stairs, the enemy would say, just throw yourself down. Knowing that I'd fall through and go through the glass and probably kill myself. That was my plan. That was my purpose. Just the torment that went through my life. You will never be used by God. Maybe today your story is not as extreme as the stories and the experience that I went through all those years ago, or the experience of Samson. But you know what? I'm pretty sure today that the enemy's trying to condemn you. And he's playing mind games with you and he's saying, God's forgotten you. you there's no hope for you, there's no future for you. I want to tell you today there's still a future and a hope in God. I want to tell you today, there's still a future and a hope. Oh, you've got to push through and you've got to battle through. But you need to come to a realization like I did. That wasn't God's plan. That was the enemy's plan. And whose plan was I going to live for? I wasn't going to live by the plan of Satan. I was going to still live in the perfect plan of God because I knew that God's grace and mercy and forgiveness, and I'm jumping ahead in the message, but I knew that it was still there for my life. No matter the mind games and what Satan pulled in, I realized, yes, I've messed up. Yes, I've messed up. But I went to the next step. I repented. I asked God, forgive me. 
My cry day after day, when the enemy would come in, my cry was this, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away. I couldn't get the words out many times as I'd be laying in my bed with tears as a young man of 18 years of age saying, God created me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. I've got to move to the next point because you need to hear this today. You need to hear this. Point number two, you ready? God already knows it all. God knows it all. You need to realize that today. God knows it all. God knows your mistakes. God knows your failures. God knows your shortcomings. Nothing catches God off guard. And He has already made provision for your life. Look at the beginning of the Word of God, the Bible, when we talk about the Garden of Eden. What was the Garden? It was a place where man fell. It was the initial sin of man when they rebelled and came against God. And God says, don't do, but they did it. And they ate of that which they were not supposed to have. Look what it says in Genesis 3 verse 15. God says, I will put enmity between you. He's talking to the serpent. I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and you, the woman. There's going to be hostility, he said, between you and your seed. But notice he says... He, that word there, he, is capitalized. Why? Because it wasn't just any he. He is speaking of his son, the redeemer, the savior that he was going to send into the world. He shall bruise your head and you, what, shall bruise his heel. In other words, as a serpent, you're going to strike his heel, but he is going to crush or he is going to bruise your head. I love this. You've got to see this today. Why? Because in the face of the failure of mankind, God could have said, okay, it's done. But God already had a provision made for each and every one of us. He says, oh, there's maybe going to be hostility. There's going to be a struggle now constantly between good and evil. But I'm sending my son into this world that sin shall no longer have dominion over you. But whom the son sets free is free indeed. When did God make that provision? In the face of man's greatest sin. God already knows. God already knows. Oh, you've just got to realize where you're at, but you've also got to realize God already knows. And God has a way of breakthrough and victory for your life. You see, God wasn't finished. God had a plan. God's plan for Adam and Eve wasn't an emergency evacuation plan. Come on, come on, run for your life. It's over, it's done. God knew. I'm going to send my son that once and for all, He's going to solve this problem. None of us are perfect. None of us get it all right. And God knows the pool of sin in our lives. Come on, read on in the story. Verse 21, it says, And the Philistines took him. They put out his eyes. They brought him to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters. He became a grinder in the prison. Listen to me today. This is a picture of what sin wants to do to you. You need to realize, because we're talking now about God knows. So what is it? We're now repenting of those things that God already knows in our lives and we're giving them to God. What is the picture we see of sin here? Here it is. What is the first thing they did? They took out his eyes. You know what sin wants to do to you? It wants to blind you. Wants to blind you from the truth. Then what did they do? They took him down to Gaza. They took him to a place 
where he doesn't want to go? What's sin going to start doing? Controlling your life and taking your thoughts and taking your life, taking your words, places that you have no business to be. Why? Because you think you're in control. I want to tell you right now, you're not in control because if God's not in control of your life, then the devil's in control of your life. You don't have the control. It's either God or the devil. Come on now, it's either God or the devil. And if you're in control, then you're working for the devil, not for God. Because God wants you to surrender your life over to him. So it will take you, look at this statement, you ready or listen to this. Sin will take you further than you want to go and cost you more than you can afford to pay. Ask the prodigal son, he'll tell you. And here's the third thing that we see. They then put him in bronze fetters. Why? Because sin will place you in a life of bondage. It will put you in a state of of bondage. Then what do we see? He was made to be a grinder. What did that mean? He was strapped to a wheel and all he did was go round and round. That's the fourth thing that sin will do in your life. It will make you think like you're getting somewhere, that you're producing something. Oh, look at me. I'm popular. I'm good. No, look again. You're just going around in circles. Come on. Someone needs to tell that hamster in his wheel. He's wasting his time because he ain't getting nowhere. Sin wants to take you somewhere fast, but you're not going to get anywhere. Sin wants to paint the picture, but all it wants to do, listen to me, is zap your energy as you're going round and round and round and round. You see, activity is not always productivity, especially if the activity is sin. Wow, that was good. Activity is not always productivity, especially if the activity is sin. Sin is a tough taskmaster, and it's not worth the risk. But remember this, point number two, God knows it all. God already knows this. God knows this. And yet he still chooses to love you and make a way of escape possible on him. His blood paid the price totally for our freedom. The next verse we're going to read, and I've got to finish. I'm like, will you give me a couple more minutes? Anyone give me five more minutes? Come on, come on, come on, come on. Here we go, verse 22. Verse 22 says this. I think this is the greatest verse that is recorded of Samson's life, period. Verse 22. Verse 22. It says, however. Come on, say with me, however. The hair on his head began to grow after it had been Shaven. Notice the mistake is still mentioned. You weren't supposed to shave your head. It's still been brought up because Satan wants to keep bringing up your past. He wants you to be reminded of your past. But don't look to the end. Look to the beginning. Look to your hope. Come on. However, however, the hair on his head began to grow in the face of his failure. A shaven, haircutted head. God's grace was still present. Man, I wish I had a witness in the house. The grace of God was still present. New Living Translation says, I love it, it says, but before long, his hair began to grow back. Oh, you maybe failed today. However, the grace of God and the mercy and the forgiveness of God is available to every single one of us. Samson's maybe not going anywhere in a hurry, but he's realizing every day as his hair's getting longer and longer and longer, he's realizing, God, you're hearing my cry because I'm sure every Every day he was saying, God, forgive me and have mercy upon me. And aren't you glad God didn't say, sorry, buddy, you've blown it. Aren't you glad God, God knows it all. He knows it all. But yet he still chooses to forgive and give us grace and mercy. Let me ask you a question today. 
how were you saved? How were you saved? By what you did? Come on, how were you saved? By the good things you did? Come on, how were you saved? You were saved, Ephesians tells us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not you. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, you're the reason you needed being saved. <laughs> you were the reason. It's a gift of God. It's a gift of God. Not of works. It's not my doing. It's not by my heart. It's by my surrender. Lest anyone should boast. I can't take credit for what God has done. I can't take credit. Come on, we are all saved by His grace through faith. And grace is not just forgiveness. Thank God it's forgiveness. Thank God it starts there. But come on, grace is not just forgiveness. Come on, thank God it's not just unmerited favor, meaning what what we don't deserve. Come on, that's just part A of grace. You want to know what part B of grace is? Come on, part B of grace is this. God's grace is your strength. It's the ability He wants to give you to overcome the enemy and we're going to shout it out shout it out because God is fighting for me he's pushing back the darkness come on his grace oh it's the forgiveness because I need that but now it's the strength to live in that forgiveness and that strength to be obedient to God Paul he's faced with something the Bible says that was a thorn in his side it doesn't tell us what it is but it was something that really must have bothered him to the point that he came to God and when God didn't answer him the first time or the second time he kept saying God would you answer me would you help me with this need and with this problem but look what God's reply to him is God doesn't say oh I'll just take care of it look what God says in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 God says my grace is so sufficient for you. No matter the struggle and the pain, where your marriage may be, where your life may be, where your mind may be, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. It's not just a forgiveness. God doesn't, you don't need forgiveness when you're sick. Come on, I don't need forgiveness when I'm sick. I need healing when I'm sick. I need strength of God. God says, my grace is sufficient. And notice what he says, my strength is made perfect in your what? When you're weak, God says, my grace will be strong. Paul also wrote this in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you, who, you, me, always will have all sufficiency. Come on, His grace in all things. That you may have an abundance for every good work. What is He saying? God's grace, oh it's forgiven. But it's strength for you to live a life of obedience to God. Samson's failure, God turned it around to become a place of great strength. Come on, your failures, your mistakes, they're tests that God says, I can take those tests and make them a testimony. I can make your life a testimony. If you just realize that the enemy's messed with you long enough, that you would realize that that's not where you belong, but you would realize through repentance that my grace and my mercy is sufficient for you. Listen to this quote. Love this quote. Came across this. And I've got to end. I've got to end. got to end. Listen to this. Temptation doesn't mean you're not in the will of Christ. It just means Satan doesn't give up his rule in your life without a fight. That's powerful. Being tempted doesn't mean you're a failure. Because the Bible says every man is tempted. 
And it wants to draw us away. It just shows the fight. It just shows the value of your life to God. And Satan wants to do everything with his power to fight you and fight you and fight you. Come on. If you're facing temptation, it's not because God doesn't love you. It's because the enemy's trying to steal you from God's love. From his grace and from his forgiveness. I've got to end this message. Point number three. The greater glory is in living for God and not dying. The greater glory is in living for God and not dying. Let me read what I mean by that. The end of the story, Judges 16, verse 28 through 30. Then Samson called on the Lord saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me. I pray just this once more, O God, that I may with one blow take the vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. You see, they were having a feast and they called Samson to make fun of him. And they put him in the middle of them all as they were feasting and making merry and they were making mockery of him. And Samson took a hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple. And he braced himself against them, one on the right and the other on the left. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might. And the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So so in the death, he killed more than what he killed in his whole life. In his death, he killed more. Then he killed in his whole life. So we can say, what a great victory. Yes or no? Yes or no? Yes or no? I want to say today, no. Not a great victory. Because yes, he did kill more in his death. But listen to me, the only reason he killed more in his death than he did in his life is because he stopped living. He stopped living. Come on, you cannot stop living each and every day. Don't stop where you think is a victory. You've got to keep on living. You've got to keep living because the greatest glory for God is once I was, but now look at me. Every day when we live in the testimony of God and what He's done, in His grace and His mercy, come on, that's what we've got to live in. Your life has a purpose to be lived and you've got to show the goodness and the mercy and the faithfulness of God. Why? You've got to realize so you can repent and you can retreat so you can advance. And see everything that God has. Wow, what a story. I said, what a story. What a story of God's grace, despite our failures. What a story of forgiveness and another chance. Notice, not a second chance. Blew that a long time ago. But another chance that God has. And again, like we've said in each story that we've recalled and talked about over this month, their story can be your story. Their story really is your story. Come on, we've got to live it out. Oh, what a saviour. What a redeemer. What a blesser. What a God. Would you stand to your feet today all over this place? We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard. But we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.